Good morning to you. How are you doing today? Good. You glad to be in the great state of Texas? Me too. Our daughter called from Pittsburgh and it's negative six up there right now. So for a gal born and raised in Fort Worth, that's a bit of a shock, but she's going to make it one way or another. Um, I have a, two or three things I just need to talk about, talk to you about this morning before we go to the Word, and then we have a unique um, close to the service today. I just want to encourage you parents of junior high and high school students to, if you have not taken advantage of getting your student into the student ministry service on Wednesday night, you really need to get them plugged in. I'm going to speak to you for just a moment here as a pastor, okay? It's come to me recently that Fuller Seminary has released their study with supporting data that our children are not being secularized in college, as most of us think. They are being secularized at home before they are sent to college by well-meaning Christian parents who seem to have difficulty in maintaining the value balance between sports and all the activities that are available for our kids today, all well-meaning things, all good things, but our parents cannot keep the value balance between those things and the gathering of the people of God. Boy, it's quiet in here today. And the value of making sure your child is fully functioning properly within the body of Christ. Let me just say this to you as an old pastor and an old dad who's been down all those paths and been down all those roads. Can I just tell you, soccer's great, but soccer's going to come and go. Baseball is great, but baseball's going to come and go. Gymnastics is great, but it's going to come and go. All those things are wonderful in their place, and they can enrich the life of your child. But the spiritual formation of your child and their eternal soul trumps all of those things. And someone needs to get right in your face and tell you that, and I'm willing to do it today because I love you and because I'm for you and I'm not against you. And so I just want to be sure that you're keeping things in proper perspective because here's what we know. Half-hearted disobedience to Jesus Christ from this generation, you parents, you know where that leads to. That leads to full-on rebellion against him in the next generation. That is the the natural progression of things. And there is no higher priority for you Christian parents than to make wise, godly decisions about how your children will relate to the church of the Lord Jesus. Can I get an amen to this today? I feel very lonely up here right now. I say this again because I'm for you. I'm not against you. But I'm willing to be honest enough to look you in the face and say, don't make foolish decisions about the spiritual formation of your children. It's the most important thing you will do as a parent, more important than all of the other things. And our student ministries leadership team, I've been working with them closely myself over this fall. They are doing an outstanding job at making sure our parents are fully informed about what's taking place in that ministry. And if you're not getting that communication as a parent, it means one of two things. It means either you're not signed up to receive the email, which you can do by writing penny at BethesdaCommunityChurch.com. You're either not signed up to get them or you're getting them and you're not opening them. And you need to open them and see what is there. If you're concerned about the spiritual formation of your child and you want to know what's taking place, that information is coming to you and it is available to you. So come on, parents, do what's right for your kids. If you have any questions about student ministries, come and sit in a service with them or come and talk with myself or any of our student ministries leaders. They would be glad to have you. And the church said, prayer service tonight. It is just ironic. 
uh, are, and if not coincidental, that tonight it has been on our schedule for a while. I, I didn't necessarily plan it this way, but we're going to be praying tonight about the racial divide in our country. If you have any concern over that or if you're just a believer who loves the Lord Jesus and willing to be part of the church that prays, we'd love to see you at 6 o'clock tonight. There's an incredible testimony that we're going to be privileged to hear, wonderful worship, communion. You need to come and be part of our prayer service at 6 o'clock. Um, one more thing, maybe two, one more, okay? And that is, do you know when Easter is this year? It's early. It's on April 1st, and we are planning a big celebration. The staff is talking about it uh, every week as we meet. Uh, we're planning on a big celebration for the entire weekend. The Good Friday service will obviously be the Friday before on April 30th. April 30th? No, March 30th. And Saturday will be an all-family event. This is new for us this year, an all-family event. I think Pastor Brendan's going to help me talk about it next week, where on that Saturday morning, between Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning, run the beach, that, uh, that the uh, 5K jog that takes place here. I'll be riding my bicycle right along with you, encouraging you every step of the way. Um, whether you run or you walk or you crawl, it is for you. And so that benefits our wonderful daycare program. So that's Saturday morning. And then followed by an all-church family Easter egg hunt. Now, hear, hear this. I think this was so fabulous when Pastor Brenda shared it. She's got it so well organized by age categories. And when your children and your grandchildren come and participate in the Easter egg hunt this year, they're going to get the gospel message because they're going to be given instruction. They've got to find uh, an egg of all these different colors. And when they find a red egg, they're going to be told about the blood of Jesus. When they find the black egg, they're going to be told about, here's what sin does to your heart. And so the gospel message is going to be given to your children and to our community on that Easter egg hunt on Saturday right before uh, Easter. And of course, then we're planning on two services on Sunday morning, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. And the entire weekend is going to be an outreach to the unsaved. <clears throat> we're bringing this before you because we want to be sure you are thinking about who the Lord would have you invite to the services, either the 9 or the 11 on that day. Maybe it's your hairdresser. Maybe it's your butcher, your baker, your candlestick maker, whoever it is. You need to be asking the Lord, Lord, give me eyes to see. Give me, open my sensitivity. Who is it you would have me to bring to hear the gospel on Easter weekend? And let's affect our community uh, for the cause of Christ. This Easter weekend is going to be an all-hands-on-deck event. And to be fully effective in what we want to do, we're going to need a volunteer base like we've not seen here before, which means we need you. Turn to your neighbor and say, they want you. Do it right now. Now, let me tell you very quickly, this volunteer um, uh, need is for Saturday and Sunday. Saturday, we're going to need egg station hosts and bounce house monitors and Saturday event greeters and run the beach volunteers. Easter Sunday morning, we need additional parking lot attendants and additional ushers and greeters and drama extras and stage hands. And there's a clue there what this is going to be like. And additional tech team support and additional children's ministries volunteers. Now, the goal for Easter Sunday morning, Bethesda, I'm talking to you, the goal for Easter Sunday morning is that we can motivate you to, to, to motivate the Bethesda members to attend one service and serve in the other service. Attend one, serve one. That is what we're asking you as a church to do. So how do you volunteer? 
How do you know what, you, what the options are for you? Well, you go to a connection desk today. There'll be someone there tending that in the atrium and speak with a volunteer coordinator. You go to the Bethesda app, which you should download if you have not done so on your device. Or you go to our website, BethesdaCommunityChurch.com, and you'll see something that looks like this. Can you run that little video clip? Yeah, that's what the website looks like. And you click on Easter Weekend Opportunities, and that takes you to this page where you fill out your name and your email address and your phone number. And if I get closer, I can actually see that. Hold in just a second. And then here's the options. Um, you might be uh, at working at a water station on for the run, or you might be a, a, a greeter for the egg, uh, the, the egg hunt. All of those things are optional, and then the thing for Sunday as well. So what we're saying is we need your help, and we're asking early so that you can plan and you can be part of it. And the church said... Amen. Okay, everyone who said amen, we'll be counting on you to sign up, okay? We need you. Dr. Marty, who has asked me to share in the Wednesday night service this week, and as you know, we feel like the, the, um, uh, the theme for this year, for 2018, is abandoned to God. And I've chosen that forum to really unpack my heart on that and what I felt the Lord was saying to me personally about being abandoned to God, and I'm going to be sharing that on Wednesday night. So I trust you will come and be a part of that if you're not otherwise engaged in the other ministries here, uh, but that will be... Wednesday night at 6.30 in, in the living room. At the end of the service this morning, we're going to be calling forward all of you who are in business to anoint you and to pray for you and to ask God's favor and blessing to be upon you for 2018. I trust all of you will, uh, will uh, respect the service this morning and you'll be part of that prayer time at the end. I know people are often in a hurry to rush out and beat the traffic. and uh, Let me promise you, there will be a formal dismissal, and you will not get attacked on the way out the door. I promise you that, okay? And so I trust you will be a part of this prayer time at the very, very end of the service. But before we get there, uh, I've got something from the Word of the Lord I want to share with you this morning. Is that okay with you? And I'm going to start it by asking, <clears throat> how many of you have walked into the house today, and you are really in a situation where you need God to give you an answer to a guidance question. If that's true, raise your hand. You've walked in the house today. You're looking for the guidance of God on something, okay? Could be for your career. Could be for who to marry or whether to marry at all. Or could be what school to go to or what degree you should pursue, what state to live in, whether or not you should buy a house. It could be any of those things, all these important life decisions. And I don't know about you, but does it seem at times that when you're trying to get an answer from God, that God gets more and more quiet, when you're, particularly when you're needing an answer? Is that true for anybody? When you need Him to be loud and clear and quick, it seems like He's anything but that. And yet I read in the Old Testament, and I see where God is always speaking. And, you know, God, the Lord said this, and the Lord said that, and the Lord said this. And sometimes I think, in my moment of need, why isn't he speaking to me right now? And yet the moment we get saved, though we see he's always speaking in the Old Testament, we see that it feels like the moment we get saved, he's gone completely silent and we can't get him to say anything. And yet we know he speaks. We know he desires to speak. And still so, I, I just have to admit to you that it's true for me. 
It's easy for me to get in the frame of mind that says, why does it take God so long to speak? Why does it take him so long to guide? Why does he seem to speak softly when what I need is loud and clear and quick? Anybody with me in the house today? Here's what I want to propose to you that I think we need to identify, and that is this. I think that God gets blamed at times for our stuff that's going on in our lives. I think we blame him for some things and that our frustration toward him gets misdirected. In fact, I'll tell you this. The older I get and the longer I walk with God, I find that when it appears that God is, um, God is holding out on me, it may actually be me holding him up. Here's what I mean by that, and here's what I want to share with you. I'm going to try to be as brief as I can about it. Um, I would recommend that you put that clock back up on that screen this morning, or we will be here till supper time tonight, probably. So all in favor of getting the clock back on the screen, say amen. amen. It's the best amen you've given all morning, I notice. <laughs> Thank you. I was taking a casual look at the life of Abram in Genesis this week, and something caught my attention. Um, what became clear to me is that the best prerequisite for getting God to answer is really, very simply, living a godly life. I, I think sometimes we're asking God for answers when our life is not ready for Him to give the very thing that we're asking for. God is not only interested in giving us what we're asking him for, but he's also interested in making sure that our life, hello, is in accordance with what we're asking of him. Prayer is best answered when we take life seriously, not just when we take prayer seriously, which we tend to do at our convenience. Life and prayer go together. Say that with me. And when we come to the point of great need in our life, you and I can get very, very serious about prayer, don't we? Oh, God. Oh, God, we need this. We need a miracle. I need this. I need it in the next 15 minutes, please. But the Bible makes it clear, church, that God is very serious. Even though, as he's serious about prayer, he's serious about the way we live our lives. Let me give you an example. It's a serious, I'm going to lose some popularity here. I'm just, I'm already planned on it, okay? It's a serious thing to God when husbands do not honor and treat their wives as the Bible teaches. Those were all lady amens that I know. It's a serious thing to God, husbands, when we do not honor our wives and we do not treat them as the Bible teaches us. 1 Peter 3, 7 doesn't just encourage us to go to counseling when things get tough and counseling is great. Not against it. That's not what it says. No, that verse in 1 Peter 3 tells us that we husbands must treat our wives right or our prayers will be hindered. That's what it says. 1 Peter 3, 7. So the straight truth is this. Guys, husbands, do you feel like you are not hearing from heaven? then start by checking out how well you're treating your wife. 
And all the wives said, Amen. Mm. We must understand that our lifestyle, our integrity, our character, and our actions are so very important to our prayer life. It may not be God being silent. It may be God looking for a lifestyle adjustment from you and me that enables him to answer our prayer. Some of you will remember a name that I'm going to bring before you. He's a Bible teacher. I don't believe um, that he ever spoke at Bethesda, but he certainly was in the circle of friends with uh, our Pastor Emeritus, Pastor Des. Some of you remember he was from New Zealand. His name is Winky Prattney. Some of you followed his teaching and know about his teaching. Winky always said this. He said, many people say they can't get God's guidance or God's direction when what they really mean is this, that they wish God would show them an easier way and tell them what they want to hear. That's what they really mean. I was reminded of that this week. I, I couldn't help but relate to it this way. As a music producer for many decades and also being involved dynamically in the local church. It's with great regularity that I've had people hand me a recording of a song that they've recorded or that they've, uh, that they've written, um, and they, they, they hand it to me. If that's been you, please, that's fine. Uh, I just, but here's the way it normally, or maybe it's uh, your niece or your, your nephew or your granddaughter or whatever that sang this, and, they'll, and it almost always comes to me the same way. It's happened for decades for me. They kind of come up to me rather sheepishly and they'll hand me, a, well, back in the day, a cassette or a CD or, or whatever, and they'll, hand, they'll say, hey, just, just listen to this and tell me what you think. And I want to go, you probably don't really want that. But I smile and I take it and I listen to it. But let me tell you what I learned in my years, my many years of, of being involved in music like this, when someone says, just listen, just, just, just listen to me, just tell me what you think. They don't mean that. They do not mean that. What they mean is, listen to this and tell me how wonderful this is, and then tell me, Dan, what all you are going to do with this recording and this song to make it known to the world for me. That's really what they're saying to me. And I, I learned that the hard way. My wife used to get all over me because she would say, you can't tell them what you think. When are you going to learn your lesson? They don't mean that when they say that. But we do the same thing with God, church. We want him to tell us what we want to hear and only what we want to hear. We don't want him to tell us that the path is going to be difficult and challenging. And we certainly don't want to be reminded of what the Bible tells us, how we are to live our lives in accordance with the Word of God. Are you mad at me? Who said yes? Ushers. Because we cannot imagine in our American mind that a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of compassion and a God of grace would do anything other than answer our prayer just the way we ask it and according to the timetable we ask for it. But here's what I want to communicate to you very clearly today. Listen to this. Listen to me. Be careful of making difficulty directional. Now, Dan, what do you mean by that? Let me say it another way. 
The difficulty of your life is not directional. Just because you are in a difficult situation, and most of us are, does not mean that God is leading you necessarily out of that situation. It's what you want to hear him say. It's what you want him to do. But we are all too often um, way less than careful about making difficulty directional. Or sometimes we don't understand, or we believe that God is saying to you, now, I know that's difficult, so now it's time for you to move on. Difficulty is not directional. Say that with me. And listen to how important this is. Using tough times or a tough situation in your life to determine your direction, I'm just going to say it right out here in public, that is cheap guidance. It is not God's guidance. God does not take a difficult moment you are in and say, well, wow, it's time to move on because this is just too hard. God does not do that. Oh my goodness, church. All of life is hard. All of us are in difficult situations. It's God wanting to use those situations to grow us and mature us to be who he's called us to be. Author Brennan Manning says it like this. What God does not protect us from, he will perfect us through. Can we just let that sink in? Say it with me. What Okay, balcony, your turn, because I can't hear you. Take, say it, balcony. How many of you believe that's true? God will most certainly use difficulty to mature and grow us. You and I want to use it as directional. You and I want to talk about how difficult this is as the opportunity for us to escape and get out of it. We use it as directional while God is using it as maturity. Moving on the voice of God is what we are called to do as believers. Moving on the voice of God is what we are called to do as believers, not moving on the fact that the situation is bad or challenging. I feel the love in this room this morning. Let me remind you of the biblical example in case you think I'm just ranting on something. Biblical example that perfectly displays this idea. One of the worst situations, and it went on for 20 years, and yet the guy, I'm going to show you, and you know the story, he didn't leave because of the difficulty of the situation. He stayed. I'm talking about Jacob. When he came to work for Laban, who would become his father-in-law, he worked for seven years. You know the story. For the wife, he thought he was going to get on his honeymoon night who was Rachel. That's who he was expecting, who he was in love with, and who he wanted. And though I, I can't honestly figure out exactly how this happened, nor will I go into supposition, but somehow, somehow, Jacob wakes up the next morning only to, dis uh, only to discover that Laban had pulled a fast one on him, and he had put Leah in his tent, and Jacob sees that Laban gave him the wrong woman. Now, if you can figure out how that happened, would you let me know after the service that it took him to the next morning to figure that out? 
Nervous laughter, nervous laughter, nervous laughter, nervous laughter. So he's got to work another seven years to get the wife he wanted. Let me just tell you, if it had been me, I would have been gone that night. How about you? After the first seven years, worked for seven years, I would have said, Laban, uh-uh, nope. Leah, uh-uh. I'm sure Jesus is moving me on out of here. I can tell that from these, from these circumstances. I am out of here. How many of you would have said the same thing? Come on, be honest. I would have been sure that that situation and those set of circumstances, that that was the guidance of God in my life. But no, that's not what happened. Jacob stayed for seven years. In fact, the Bible says he stayed for 20 years. So the deceiver is now being deceived by Uncle Laban. And Laban, the Bible says, changed his uh, wages 10 times in the midst of all this. Most of us would have been out and gone real fast. But here's the lesson to us this morning. It is this. Difficulty is not directional. Say it again. Jacob never leaves because the wages got changed on him again and again or because wives were switched on him. You know when Jacob leaves? Jacob leaves when God speaks to him in Genesis 31, 13, and God says this, I am the God who appeared to you at Bethel, the place where you anointed the pillar of stone and made your vow to me. Now, say that word now. Say it again. Now get ready and leave this country and return to the land of your birth. Jacob never leaves on difficulty. Jacob leaves on the voice of God. Church, we are called as believers and people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We move on the voice of God, not on the difficulty of our situation. I know you'd like me to preach something else this morning, but i got to tell you the truth. But the one in the Old Testament who it appeared God was constantly speaking to and constantly guiding and constantly giving direction, was Abraham. And when you're reading the life of Abraham, you often see, and the Lord said, and and, and then the Lord said, and and the Lord spoke, and and the Lord said, and this. And it occurred to me one day that I, I, it would be an interesting study to look at every time in Abraham's life where the Bible says, and the Lord spoke, or and the Lord said. Look at every one of those, and then see what happened just before the Lord spoke. What were the conditions? What was the uh, A&A, the attitude and atmosphere? What What was going on? What was it that triggered the voice of the Lord just before he spoke? And after a while, I began to see the significance and the correlation. Because in each situation, it's true. Abraham did something. And God responded with, and now you're ready for me. And now I will speak to you. Or Abraham lived out something and God responded with, and now you're ready for me to speak to you. So what I'm presenting to you is this. I think it's possible. That there is pre-directional or pre-guidance living that prepares us for the voice of God. Pre-directional or pre-guidance living that prepares us for the voice of God. Let me show you what I mean. I'm going to give you three quick examples before I close. If you look at Genesis chapter 13, let me show you something here in the life of Abram. He is still called Abram at this time. Genesis 13, starting with verse 14. 
After Lot had gone, say those four words. One more time. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see, as far as you can see in every direction, north, south, east, and west. I'm giving you all this land, as far as you can see, to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they can't even be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I'm giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord. So here's what's going on. When Abraham separated from Lot, who had eyes on a different thing, God began to speak to him. I think, church, sometimes, I don't think I know, sometimes relationships can hinder us from hearing the voice of God. Sometimes relationships can hinder us. I think being with the wrong people Hearing the wrong voices can cloud the voice of God to us. I don't know who I'm talking here to today, but I know there are people who've walked in the doors looking for an answer from God. You've been praying fervently. You're who I'm talking to today. I think it's possible that relationships, being with the wrong people, hearing the wrong voices, can cloud the voice of God. And Lot was one of those guys who was going to eventually end up in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord knew that this would have to be a separation point in order for him to give Abraham the remainder of what was to happen in the covenant. Sometimes, and I ask you to just consider this today, the holdup in your prayer life is the people you're hanging with. Parents, I know I've romped on you pretty hard already this morning, but I hope you are regularly and faithfully praying for your kids to have great Christian friends or God-honoring friendships. And that verse that your children need to know, as well as they know John 3.16, ought to be 1 Corinthians 15.33, which says, bad company corrupts good character. Get that burn on the walls of the heart of your children. Bad company corrupts good character, 1 Corinthians 15.33. And I'm reminding you that if you're in a wrong relationship, it can cloud the waters between you and God. It is so important. I stand here to speak the truth to you today. It is so important that we keep a watchful eye on our friendships and our relationships, not only in the lives of our children, but for us as well. Can I get an amen? Please notice that when just one person was removed from Abram's life, what happened? The voice of God came to him. Sometimes our fear of of, um, not being accepted or, or our own insecurity heightens our sensitivity to the voice of other people. We start caring more about what he thinks or or she thinks or our boss, what they think. And because of our own insecurity and and fear of that we, we won't be accepted, so we start listening to those voices. And you know what that does? The minute we start giving value to those voices, that dulls our sensitivity to the voice of God. And we live as though people's opinions matter more than God's opinion. Listen to me closely this morning. If you fear man, God will become very small to you. If you fear man, their words, their opinions, 
their opinion of you. If you fear man, then you have just reduced the size of God in your life. And when Lot is removed, all of a sudden, he's gone. And notice, it's like the doors open and God stepped in and spoke. He enlarged the boundaries, started growing. He enlarged Abram's life. And when Lot was gone, direction came. That's when the guidance came. We need to be sure that a pre-directional condition in our lives is that we have God-honoring friendships. And that's not just for teenagers. That's the adults too. So Pastor Dan, are you, you saying that I can't have friends that are non-Christians? Really? I mean, I've got neighbors. I've got co You say I can't be. What I'm saying is this. There is a big difference between fellowship and ministry. A big difference between fellowship and ministry. Fellowship is what you have with believers. Ministry is what you have with your non-Christian friends. You should be, by the example of your life, and sometimes maybe even by your words, winning them over to Christ. Silence is in the room. There's another time in the life of Abram where God spoke to him after an action on, on the part of Abram. Genesis 15.1. starts off like this. After these things, say that. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. That's all I'll read. After these things, God began to speak. After what? What are these, these things? These things are what take place in the immediately previous chapter that we see. And, and here's what it is. If I lost popularity already, it's really going to go now, okay? Here's what happened. After these things, the word of the Lord came. What are these things? Here's what it is. Abraham tithes, gives a tenth to Melchizedek the priest after a battle and the rescue of his nephew Lot. What are these things that prompted God to speak? It was after he tithed. Don't raise your hand, but let me just ask you. Is there anybody here, don't raise your hand, did you walk in this morning in need of a financial miracle? Don't raise your hand. Did you walk in here in need of a financial miracle? I know there are many. Let me ask this, and I do want you to raise your hand in response to this. How many of you have ever in your life asked God for financial help at any time in your life? Okay. Here's the principle. God Always entrusts with more when you have been faithful with little. God always entrusts with more when you have been faithful with little. What happens is that Abram tithes to Melchizedek, who is known as the type of Christ, and guess what happened? Right after that, right after he did that, uh, had that act of obedience, the voice of the Lord came to him. Simply because Abram takes care of a little thing that he knows he's supposed to do. And that little thing, that little faithfulness doesn't seem to mean really all that much. Except that right after that, it triggered the voice of God in his life. Can I just say, so much is learned about people and how they, they treat their money and how they look at finances. For Christmas, just uh, what three weeks ago precious little girl in this fellowship, about seven or eight, brought me, uh, on the Christmas Eve morning of the service, brought me a, a Christmas card. 
Really, it wasn't a card. It was just a small piece of paper that had been ripped off of um, a spiral-bound thing of some kind. But on it, she wrote this. She said, I love Pastor Dan. Precious girl. I love Pastor Dan. I'm glad you're my pastor. I pray for you every day. I hope you have a Merry Christmas. And then she scotch-taped one dime and two nickels. She double-backed the, the tape on the back of each coin, a dime and two nickels, and she put it on the bottom of where she had written this, and then she put some more scotch tape over the top of that just to be sure that they stayed. And then she brought it to me in that morning service, at the end of that service. It was the most precious gift I received this year and certainly the most memorable. Why? Because it was an expression of the heart. And she demonstrated that she had a full understanding of the most basic principle of giving, which is this. Giving is because you love. Giving is because you are grateful for what God has given to you. And also, giving moves the heart of the one to whom you are giving. When I saw that, I thought, she gets it. This little girl gets it. She gave because she loved. She gave because she was grateful and expressed it. And in her giving, she moved the heart clearly of the one to whom she was giving. When Abraham gives what he is supposed to give, suddenly the voice of God comes to him. And yet some of us will pray and pray and get fervent and we will say to God, God, I need you to pay the rent. God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to supply the car payment this month. I need you to supply the, the utilities. God, you've got to come through. God, I'm counting on you. And we can't even show consistency with tithing. Amen, Pastor Dan. That's really good preaching this morning. There's one more. Since you're having so much fun, I thought I'd give you one more. One more pre-directional condition. Write that phrase down because, and I hope I've made it clear, pre-directional, before God gives you direction. What's the circumstances before? Pre-directional condition. Genesis 17, verse 1 says this. Now, when Abram, <clears throat> it's within this chapter, his name's going to change, but it just hasn't, has not yet at the beginning. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and he said to him, I am God Almighty. Most versions will say, I'm, God, I'm El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. So here we see once again, that God appeared and spoke to Abram. And once again, I find myself looking for the pre-directional situation. What, so what happened? What triggered this? What happened just before God spoke? Well, in the first one, we noted God spoke when Abraham separated from a relationship with Lot that, would have, that was obviously clouding the voice of God. That was a pre-guidance situation. The second one we noted, God speaks after Abram recognized his financial responsibility before the Lord, and he walked in obedience to that. And as soon as he did that, God spoke. Here's number three, the last one. What triggers God to speak yet again? And we just read from chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared and said, I am El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. But if you will look back up, go about an inch above that in your Bible, over that little white space and go to the last verse of the previous chapter, chapter 16. Look back. That's how you find a preconditional uh, 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 situation, a pre-directional, pre-guidance uh, situation. You go back. The Bible says in the previous verse, last verse of 16, 
And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. So the end of chapter 16, he's how old? I can't hear you. And the beginning of chapter 17, he's how old? Okay, somebody do the math for me. How many years is that? Yeah, it's 13 years. You know what Abram was doing for 13 years? He was taking care of and showing responsibility for a mistake. Because Ishmael was the child that he had with the concubine. Abram was supposed to believe that Sarai was to give birth to a child at 90 years old when he was 100. And that the name of that child would be what? Isaac. But this is Ishmael. This is the son that even to this day, hello, is causing us problems. So what do you think Abram was doing for 13 years? We don't have it there. You have a white space between chapter 16 and chapter 17. So will you just forgive me as I present just a little bit of conjecture, what possibly could be? What was he doing? He was taking care of a mistake. He did not run away. It could mean he was changing diapers. Could mean he was teaching the boy how to walk, how to talk and learn Hebrew, teaching him to throw a ball. And instead of saying, oh, I messed up, I blew it, let me get on with my life, he stayed there with the mistake for 13 years and made sure that he took responsibility that he was supposed to take as a father. He did not run away. Whatever way that that translates to you for 2018, because the truth is, we have all made mistakes. Raise your hand in this house if you've made a mistake. Okay, put your feet down. And We've all made mistakes. And it does not mean that God can't use someone who's made a mistake. Somebody say hallelujah. But he cannot use someone who is irresponsible and doesn't properly own up to the mistake. If you've made mistakes in this house, and every one of us admitted we have, here's the good news. God can use you, but not if you're responsible, not if you are only willing to admit, well, I blew it, and then for your own convenience to get out of the awkwardness of that mistake, you just want to go on with life. Abraham owned it. He dealt with it. And for 13 years, he had to look at that boy and be reminded of his mistake before the Lord. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why did I not trust the Lord? Why did I do that? Why did I not believe the word of the Lord? But for 13 years, we see nothing in Scripture between the end of chapter 16 and the beginning of chapter 17. There's no record of sermons being preached. There's no record of any books being written. There's no, records, uh, no record of any songs being written or recorded or sung, nothing like that. He was taking care of a mistake for 13 years, and God's response, note it with me this morning, Bethesda, God's response was, good, now I'm going to talk to you. And I'm going to show you a different name that I have. My name is El Shaddai, the God Almighty, the many-breasted one. That's who I'm going to reveal myself to you to be now. Sometimes the pre-directional moment for God to speak to us is when we simply do the right thing, even if it means sacrifice. 
You and I are looking for our prayer list to be satisfied and God to answer just like that. And I'm right there with you. God is looking for our lives to line up with the word of God. I know you're angry with me this morning, but I'm telling you the truth. My question to you is this. Where, as you move into 2018, and you go into this next season, we have no idea what this year is going to hold for us. Where is your pre-directional life, your pre-guidance life? Where is your life prior to God speaking to you? I know you're anxious for God to speak, so am I. We are anxious for the time, but we must look and say, am I being faithful? Am I living according to the precepts of God Almighty? Where is my devotional life? Where is my prayer life? Where is my commitment to his church, the bride of Christ? Here is Abraham, and every time God spoke to him, all I did, I just went backwards to see what triggered God's voice to him. I just had to see what was Abraham's heart What was his posturing? What was it that triggered the voice of God in his life? What was it? I had to see it. And God took note that Abraham had been faithful in taking care of a boy, even though he was the product of a mistake. And church, that should speak volumes to us this morning. God understands we're going to blow it. He understands we're going to make mistakes. But he's never hindered by our mistakes and our shortcomings. It could be with debt. It could be poor spending. It could be mishandling of a relationship. It could be a divorce that you caused. But your posturing before the Lord in confessing your mistakes is very critical to his voice speaking to you going forward. As you take care of those mistakes, you are preparing yourself to hear the voice of God. After these things. What is it in your life that you stand today on January 14th of 2018 after these things? What is it that you need to take care of to trigger the voice of the Lord in your life? Bow your heads in prayer with me, please. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I know that it is still sharper than a two-edged sword. I thank you there is life in the Word of God. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you will minister to each of us today because we need you. Lord, I pray that the convicting power of the Holy Spirit will remind us of those things that have been brought to us in this message given this morning. That our lives... Will reflect and be uh, will reflect you and your word, and will be a place that we will be positioned to hear the voice of the Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for our presumption. Forgive me for my presumption. And the times I thought you should just speak because I asked. And Lord, I ask that you give us a sensitivity to walk according to your precepts and according to your word. So I pray your blessing upon Bethesda in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen.